this episode, I'm speaking to Andreas Lopata, who is professor at James Cook University in Australia and Singapore. Andreas recently received an award from the Good Food Institute to research allergens in cultured seafood. The World Health Organization and the Food and Agriculture Organization have asked for this research to be carried out due to the risk of presence of allergens in cultured seafood uh, and posing a potential risk to human health. Uh, I'm Alex Crisp. This is the Future Food Podcast. Okay, uh, welcome Andreas Lopata um, to this podcast. Um, looking forward to uh, having a conversation with you around your expertise. Can you just explain to us a little bit about your work? Yes, uh, thanks Alex, firstly for, for the invitation to, to talk about what we're doing and how we are active in the alternative protein space. So our, our work here at James Cook University is really around food allergies those are allergic reactions in in people and food consumers to various types of food and i personally work in this area basically since my phd uh, which is a long time many many years ago uh, but we are specialized over the past probably 20 odd years on seafood and seafood is a commodity which is increasing uh, increasing demand and there we have also this two kind of areas in, in the seafood production. We have aquacultural seafood as well as seafood caught uh, uh, in the sea. So, and and seafood, or let's say fish as an example, uh, it's not just fish. I mean, when you talk about allergy to peanut, you there's basically only one peanut we're talking about. And if you have egg allergy, it's one specific egg. They're not different eggs and they're not different milks when you talk about milk allergy. But when it comes to fish allergy, we know uh, literally thousands of different species are consumed worldwide. And when we look on molecular level and allergenetic uh, level, there are very big differences between different types of fish. If it's codfish or salmon in Europe, and in Asia you have, for example, barramundi, Asian sea bass, uh, uh, and other types of fish consumed. And when we look on molecular level, as we said, we, we are quite specialized on this. Uh, you see big, big differences. And we have published this over the years in various papers where we use proteomic approaches, we're using immunological approaches. And the last five years we, in Australia, we did a very large study with over 100 children with fish allergy. And there we could really see huge differences in allergenicity from a very high allergenic point of view and from a very low. And there we found out that, for example, shark is very low allergenic as compared to salmon or cod or bassa. So how is this? Why is this? And then there are two different types of fish. So I'm going backwards uh, before I worked with allergies. I'm actually a biologist. I started biology in Germany and then moved to South Africa and now in Australia and Singapore. And so I have a little bit of background understanding what we're dealing with. And uh, shark and uh, uh, bony fish, as we call it, they're two different distinct lineages when you look also at taxonomy and evolution and shark meat seems to be very very low allergenic and that's we published with colleagues in europe where they actually conducted food challenges with people with uh, severe fish allergy they could consume small amounts of shark without any clinical symptoms 
And we here in Australia then found the, the, the scientific uh, uh, evidence for this on a molecular level that the allergens or the molecules which are in these two different types of fish groups are very different. So that's that's where we're coming basically coming from originally that we look at the we are the interface on a molecular level as well as on a clinical level and working with a lot of clinicians in this field. Okay, so are you um are you trying to develop the uh the perfect food stuff for people with um for people with allergic reactions? You know, I know that you recently received a grant from the Good Food Institute. Is that for this particular sort of research? Yeah, that, Alex, that, that's a very good question. Uh, uh, so the first part of it, so to, if, if you want to make the food safer, uh, and we are starting work in the alternative uh, food protein sector, I would say maybe four or five years ago, and it all started with insect-based food. So insect-based food are particularly in Europe also marketed really as an alternative protein. And we looked at the cross-reactive allergens between insects and shellfish. Again, evolutionary, uh, a shrimp and a prawn and a cockroach, they're not very different from each other. They just taste and look very different. <laughs> so we're looking now at the allergens also and found their similarities. And through this work, we came uh, in contact with several industries in Singapore, which are producing cell-based meat. There the question came up, of course, regarding uh, registration of these products and getting them on the market. I mean, chicken is now on the market in Singapore for the last three, four years. Uh, now, uh, chicken also in, in the US since this year. So with other cell-based fish and shellfish, it will take a little bit longer. So they are still in the early phase and many other companies worldwide also startup companies in the early phase. But it comes now to the phase where it comes closer to registration with the different uh, policymakers in different countries, which are very different uh, from country to country. And there, of course, a food safety assessment is vital. So when it comes to food safety assessment, cell-based meat is really not much different from any other meat. It has to undergo undergo evaluation for toxins, heavy metals, uh, um, antibiotic uh, usage. And all of this is very controlled, of course, in, in a cell-based cultured environment and it's easy to measure relative easy because you know exactly what can be maximum there or not what the biggest consumer uh, uh, fear i will say or um, request is to know more about allergens in these new novel food products when it comes to chicken again and beef which are also cultured chicken and beef allergy is uh, very 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 rare uh, it happens on a clinical level but extremely rare. However, fish and shellfish allergy, we know about three to four percent of the general world population have some type of seafood allergy. So there is it's very critical that we really know what's in there, how much is in there, how different or how similar is it to the conventional fish which is produced or the shellfish. So all these questions coming up there regarding a food labeling, what are the allergens, what's the quantity? And also when it comes to food labeling, do we just measure the normal allergens in fish or shellfish or not? That's uh, a really yeah. uh, useful uh, area to study. And, and I suppose through the use, the uh, process of growing the meat through kind of cell agriculture, I suppose there is a way of identifying the allergens and kind of growing them out of the food. Is that is that something that the food developers are looking at so that 
you know so you can have you can have seafood that has no allergens mm. in yeah look that's i think this is probably the second or third line of importance for the for the for the companies for producing these these products because at the end of the day cell-based uh, meat is produced to replace conventional farming or catching fish in the sea so that's the foremost uh, reason for this producing also reasonable uh, cheap uh, high quality food proteins so to make a non-allergenic or non-continuic allergens it's i think it's not the the first aim maybe subsequently further down the line once you have really established cell lines because we we have to admit we are still in the early phase uh, in the early phase of development shellfish probably takes a little bit longer than a fish a fish is also a vertebrate like a chicken so they're all fairly on the lower scale of development so this should be fairly similar to to develop these type of meats but a non-allergenic i think that's the secondary question is the the primary question is still there are the allergens in the same abundance there because there's not unfortunately only one allergen so what you mentioned earlier on food labeling there are 14 allergens worldwide which should be labeled on food products although the eu is the most stringent with 14 allergens australia's nine and it varies country by country what's required but the maximum is currently 14. and this number goes up also annually or every two years new allergens are found which are of major public health concerns so that's the other uh, requirement to have a new allergen on food labeling so when it comes there there are if several test kits available to the to detect allergens based from seafood and you're looking always at contamination so these products in the future we're not sure will they come on the market as a plain uh, uh, fillet similar like a chicken breast is it just a pure fillet and most likely it will be not just a pure meat so there will be probably some additions even of different plants and plants having different allergens like soya or, or mung beans all these new foods which are probably used in combination with this cultured meat to grow it fast and uh, reasonable uh, financially so allergens will be coming in there so to see what's there what's the quantity there and can we use the established test kits for for conventional meat for conventional seafood can we use them to measure also the same allergens in cell-based meat so this is all questions which haven't to be addressed and this is part of the work we are now getting funded by the good food institute to look particular just on fish uh, i mean seafood is a huge uh, commodity with different species but we're just looking at fish in in singapore we have probably 10 20 different types of fish species which are uh regularly on a daily base uh, uh purchased on the market and consumed so there is a lot of work already to identify what allergens are in these type of fish or some of them have never been investigated for allergens the second mm -hmm. question what we uh, uh came up with a, a good food institute not just looking at the allergens let's say for example in salmon or in sea bars but also the origin so when it comes to making cell-based uh, uh, meat there are kind of four steps involved and this was just recently actually uh, published and evaluated by the FAO together with the World Health Organization. Just a few months ago, they, they published a report over 120 pages long, 
looking just at food safety and cell-based meat. So there was look at all different angles uh, and experts from around the world, what, what is considered in, in food safety. And allergens did come up as, as a number one. But coming back to the production line, so there are four steps. The first one is the cell selection, followed by the production, where you actually proliferate these cells, which you take out of the, of the animal. Then you harvest these cells after a few weeks in usually in tissue culture. And then you process this product further down and formulate it in a way that it actually is tasty. There come sauces and spices, other plant products and so on. So starting with the cell selection, the very first spot, I, I realized there could be really a detrimental impact for the industry and also benefit for the industry selecting the cells not only which grow the fastest, but, but are the most similar when it comes on a protein level to the conventional fish, which is sourced. So when it comes to the cells also, which are uh, used from fish, there could be uh, stem cells. Uh, so stem cells, which have not been really uh, developed into the final product, or those cells which are still can be developed depending on the environment in one or the other types of tissue. Then the cells have to be isolated. So when it comes to growing up the cells, you probably, depending on the tissue culture medium which is used, it might prefer certain types of cells, but not other types of cells. So the product might really vary on the type of, not only the type of fish, but where this fish comes from. So Asian sea bass from Singapore, Australia, Vietnam, they're all different types of farms uh, where uh, uh, Barramundi is farmed, for example. So there could be also resulting in different types of cells because they're growing in different environment, different temperatures, different climate changes. So environmental impact, I think that's probably the key word there. Not so much climate change, but environmental impact on growth conditions. Every farmer knows if it's not cattle or chicken or fish in the water, depend, uh, makes a huge impact on how quick these animals grow, if they may resistant to the diseases or not. And in the petri dish, you will have a similar environment. But we, we, we're always looking at the end product, you know, how quickly does it grow and how cheap is it? But this in between the black box, this is something where the food safety really comes in and the FAO and World Health Organization uh, identified a couple of areas where we should uh, have a look at these products before they come really on the market. As I said, with beef and chicken, probably it's no issue because they are by nature non-allergenic. But many of the other food commodities maybe are not so easy. Hmm. So it's um, it's kind of doubly complicated yeah. in regard to in regard to the allergens because first of all there are the uh, there are the allergens kind of inherent in the cells, but then it depends uh, of course on the kind of culture that they are are um, you know nurtured and grown in. And kind of depending whether they use an algae culture or bean culture or mm. a worm culture or you know or whichever one they choose, kind of which uh, that would add complications yeah. to what those allergens are. Which um, and ob obviously this is all going to need to be in the labelling. So, you know how how will we be dealing with these complications? Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a very good point, Alex. Uh, how are we dealing with this? Because we don't really know yet what will be in the final, final product. Because also when it comes to conventional food products analysis, and this done in 
hundreds of thousands laboratories every day worldwide looking for these 14 uh, major allergens, you know, from soya or milk or beef. We're looking always at contamination, of course. That's also very important, not at the original product really per se. So we don't know if these test kits are good enough to, to test also these products. So there should be a kind of uh, in detail, uh, in-depth analysis if a product containing cell-based meat in combination with others, uh, if the conventional test kits can be used to detect all these allergens. As I said, in fish, we know probably six, seven, eight different proteins which are allergens. In egg also, we know 20 probably different allergens which are there in egg, but we're looking only at usually one or two, and this depends on the company. So the harmonization of these targets for these allergen test kits, it's not there yet. Yeah? So we have a couple of major producers in the world often using uh, secret ingredients, uh, what they're testing for, what they're targeting for, uh, what antibodies are used for these assays. So with seafood, I can see there will be uh, a bigger issue than, than with, the, with chicken or meat because there is such a diversity of these, these allergens. But in general, I think these test kits, it doesn't matter what what you're producing, chicken, uh, beef, or other products, if they're not just used as a fillet or as a single ingredient in the food product or just used in, in combination, you know, having a paella of different types of food and proteins mixed together, then it gets a little bit complicated what you measure. Is now your chicken your raw product, which gets fur further processed into the final minced meat product with you know spices in and other gluten for example has to be labeled and so on so or is it a final product or is it a raw product which is further processed so these are things i think the different legislation worldwide looking into this right now but when you when you look at this fao report for example the whole world there are legislation regarding food safety assessment and evaluation but when it comes to cell-based meat, there are only three regions which actually look at this really and have a particular regulation and law enforcement around these new products. And this is the US with the FDA, is the EU, United Nations, uh, European Union, sorry. <laughs> and the third one is Singapore. So Singapore is really uh, uh, hitting uh, well above the, the, the waistline with the with the europe and the us government they're looking really at the new source of food products really cutting edge technology is one thing but cutting edge also translation of this technology in in a reasonable well harmonized food product which is safe uh, for our consumers and and that's what it is at the end of the day what has to be achieved these test kits do they exist now Yes, they are available and they're used for, for, for decades, basically. And as I said, this, this number of these test kits is increasing and they're very well standardized in the US and EU where these products, uh, these test kits are produced. Uh, they are, uh, of course, used on a daily basis. They're very standardized, but I have not seen any study published at least where they're using these types of test kits to evaluate the allergen content, uh, or quantity in cell-based meat products. So there is nothing out there where we could say, yes, 
that's all there. It works. We can use this, or we have to develop something new. So why would why would um, what would be the difference that you would need a different kind of of kit? Uh, that's a good question, Alex. As I, as I said early on, with these environmental conditions in a petri dish where this these uh, stem cells are starting to grow now, of course they are different. Or the gene profile is differently expressed. So genes are stimulated in a different way, producing maybe the same proteins, but in different concentrations. So you might have now suddenly this major allergen in, in fish, for example, or in shellfish, uh, produced at a very low concentration, maybe which is great. But there is another allergen, as I said, they are, every food allergen has at least five or ten allergens which are of clinical significance. So suddenly maybe this other allergen, which in a normal conventional food is very low expressed, is suddenly super high expressed. So these test kits, and that's like almost giving now the idea away <laughs> to these companies, they should maybe look at the other allergens which are really expressed now in a high quantity under these conditions. Maybe they are a better target. Because at the end of the day, we want to, to protect the consumer. So uh, whatever we choose and what's the best is under these conditions, maybe this is a better uh, protein or allergen to detect and quantify to say, yes, that's you know, our final product, because unfortunately, they are not all the same. You know? So that's that would probably be the best way to go further if the current tests are not good enough. I see. Um, and I, I did read somewhere um, that there was some fear of there being a, a carcinogenic impact from culture. Mm -hmm. You know, is there any validity to that? Yeah, I mean, you know, when any any new food, food products and and these cell based meats are considered as novel foods in most countries, so they are really novel. When it comes to insect, for example, in many Asian countries, for example, they're not novel because they're eaten already there for thousands of years, so they found falling under different category. But uh, one concern: what could come up again? The genes, you know, genes are growing in the cells; they're switched on. Uh, like genetically modified food that you have actually in GMO food. However, if you don't touch it, if you don't use kind of molecular tools to change these cells, how they're growing, because of course there is this need to grow these cells as fast as possible, because if they grow very fast, you can harvest quicker, meaning the product will be cheaper at the end of the day and more available for consumer. So there is a need for fast growing conditions and cells. The, the environment is one thing using algae or other natural product. They're also uh, cell based meat is not allowed to use recombinant proteins, like for example, is used in mouse cell lines and in human cell lines. They're using of, often uh, growth hormones, which are artificially, I would say, recombinant produced protein. All of this is not allowed in, in, in um, this food production, which it's, it's a good thing because it makes it also sustainable. Because all this production of this recombinant protein would be absolutely not sustainable on a global level. So looking at this alternative is great, but you don't really know really what's happening there on the, on the cellular level, uh, except when you grow these cells and finally you have now a cell line which you can grow over and over again, because that's the ultimate goal. Not every time you have to go back and get stem cells from an animal, but maybe you have your own stem cells, which you can passage again, and you're completely independent of these live animals to start off. There could be, of course, as biologically or evolutionary, you will have 
uh, possibly a change of cells and their genes over passage from over time, over weeks and months and years. And there are tools available to monitor those and make sure that these cells don't shift and change over time, because then your final product will also be not the same anymore. And so would that be a sort uh, of with mutation? Thing? Yeah, sorry. Yes, there's a delay. Exactly. It would be a natural mutation, which, yes, it's a mutation. It's a natural mutation, which we, which happens in nature the whole time. Uh, and this has to be controlled or observed, I will say, rather in, in cell-based meat in general to see that, well, this would be also not beneficial to the end product because you have a certain composition of meat, of proteins and fat. By the way, fats are also very important. Most people think about cell-based meat that you just look at protein, but the flavor would be terrible uh, if you just eat plain meat. So the fat component, adipore kinetic tissue, uh, is also now evaluated very uh, clearly from different meats to give the proper natural flavor uh, to the product. So all of this in consideration, carcinogenic, I personally would not see any scientific really evidence there that this could happen uh, in, in tissue culture. Okay, um, but do you think there could be other health risks, um, you know, aside from those things, if the genes are mutating or if, you know, the combination of the of the cells and the um, and the growth formula, you know, are there any other potential kind yeah. of health risks? Yeah, as I mentioned earlier on, also that's part of the funded project with the Good Food Institute that we look at the tissue origin of, from different countries uh, or different regions, not the countries, the regions, different environment condition where different fish uh, species of fish growing. And we're looking at the protein profile and we're looking at the allergen profile, if this varies. We have done similar studies with prawns or the shrimps from, I think we had uh, six different countries uh, farmed and wild, and we could see differences. There were certain shifts of allergen abundance and profile between different species. So, and this is, of course, the environment, but also food. Most of these animals in aquaculture, of course, having different nutrition, giving so, so different pellets they're using. And the same is in tissue culture. I mean, the food you're giving is your culture medium, what we call it. This contains all the amino acids and the minerals which are needed to build uh, a tissue which is similar to the ones from the conventional meat and should also have the same flavor. So this, there will be mutations kind of there, but mutations is basically also another way for adaptation, an adaptation to environment and condition. If the temperature drops from 30 to 25 degree for an Asian sea bus, it's a huge climate change. Uh, it's very cold. So they have to adapt to this, that they don't get sick and continue growing. And for other animals it will be the opposite. You know, from 10 to 15 degree, upwards it's a huge change and we see this in aquaculture so that's why we have optimal conditions for growing fish or shellfish at the same as maybe land animals a little bit more adaptive there but with uh, with these seafoods they're living not only temperature but there's a lot of other factors they're basically swimming in the medium of of uh, molecules around them and the separation is just the skin of the fish or the shell with the shellfish so there's a much more exposed to environmental changes. So adaptation, yes, you call it mutation, yes. Is it bad for us? I I don't think so when it comes to allergens. There's one thing we can measure, 
and and that's we can monitor let's put it this way that would be not a once-off measurement but continuous uh, measurement of allergens i would say because we have a handful of them we know them very well and we can also monitor growing conditions i mean i'm sure companies will come up with better medium in five years time which is cheaper which is better for tissue culture is more sustainable and will produce really uh, reasonable or cheap uh, meat which can be sold not just in Singapore or Europe, but also in Africa or other developing countries where there is really a need for high quality proteins. I mean, that's, let's face it, there, there is really the challenge to help these countries to produce enough decent food, and not only for people who have the financial uh, needs, uh, uh, ability to acquire these expensive foods. So, yes, I would say there, there is definitely variations happening. And, but we can monitor this constantly. Yes. Last time we spoke, um, we uh, we kind of touched on the subject because obviously this is going to be a very highly regulated industry with lots of tests and, and checks and that sort of thing. But, uh, you know, if there are rogue producers, um, you know, kind of black market producers, um, um, what kind of problems do you think that might cause? Yeah, that, that's a very good question. I think um, companies are already starting to think about this. That could be a kind of uh, threat to the industry that somebody just uses a, a fish down the road, a tissue, mix it up, mince it up, make another uh, tissue-based uh, food and say that's cell-based uh, uh, seafood or meat or something. So... There is, of course, the absolute risk. I would say at the moment, only two countries are selling it. So it's very small amount uh, sold. As soon as it goes to the big market, there will be definitely so-called adulteration happening. We call it adulteration if something is sold as what it's not is. Fish. The things you're eating in Europe and the US, 50% of the fish in the restaurant on your plate is not what it's uh, labeled for. 50% right now already fish from aquaculture and from wild is not what it is sold for so this is of course a financial issue for the farmers or people who catch it but it's also an issue of food safety because allergenicity as i mentioned at the beginning varies between different species so fish is one of the most uh, adulterated commodity food commodity we know so and why should this not happen also with your cell based meat at the end so when they say uh, it's not fifty uh, percent is not what it's advertised as, what does that mean? What's it? Um, and so it, it sort of says it's kind of line caught, but it's farmed. Is it that sort of thing? So it could be the other way around that uh, so-called line caught fish, which is actually just from a farm, or it could be really, and that's just more frequently happening, is one fish, a sea bass or something sold, and is actually catfish or some other fish from the reef. Yeah. So, uh, and once you fillet it and cut it in small pieces, uh, visually it's almost impossible to uh, distinguish. And real up to now, we don't even have proper tests to say this is this fish and this is another fish. Salmon is maybe a difference because it's pink, but once it's white yeah, or gray in color, it's almost impossible. Mm. So there will be adulteration happening and companies I think my thinking about using some genetic marker or some other labels for it, but there will be the need there for more than one type of label to distinguish different types of meat and say it's cell-based or not. And, 
And of course, of course, because when um, uh, when the product is is launched uh, initially, it's going to be a lot a lot more expensive than the than the farmed fish. Um, so there will mm. be so there will be people trying to sell farmed fish as cultivated fish, uh, you know, because they can get more money for it. Yeah, that's uh, as I said. Uh... I have not even seen really discussion. Even the, the FAO, this workbook now published a couple of months ago, they don't know even raise this concern that you have adulteration of this. Although it will definitely happening as soon as it's rolled out in a bigger way. And it will take a few years before the prices adapt to to the similar level as local fish. And even there there will be adulteration happening or because it's really still can make some kind of uh, margin especially when they import and export fish. I mean, you might produce the product here and export it to Europe, US. So what do they do when they get the product in to test, all right, this is really cell-based uh, meat and this is the conventional meat. How mm. do they test it for? Yeah. So that's a couple of things which have been raised there, uh, which could be of major concern once you start rolling out. And that's insecurity to the consumer. I mean, the consumer pays the money at the end of the day billions of dollars now invested into this industry uh, a lot of them is still plant-based which is probably a little bit easier because also financially there's in the moment not so much gain adulterating with a different plant this would mm -hmm. not make sense but with yeah. the service meat that something has not been con really considered yet yes um uh, andreas we are running out of time um so uh i think this interview has almost raised more questions than it's um you know, then it's answered. So uh, perhaps there will be a a follow up at some point. Uh, but it's been it's been okay. great talking to you, and um, thank you for appearing on the podcast. I mean, I'll say good night now. You're in Australia. It's good night for you. Yes, I'm Australia. <laughs> okay, great. Yeah. Okay. Well, no, thanks very much, Alex. Thanks for the invite. And I'm sorry, pleasure. I opened more questions than answers, but it's a new field. Yeah, okay. and people can Thanks follow so up and they can get in touch with you and ask you questions um, if um, if they have any. Absolutely. Uh, ideally in Singapore with the uh, James Cook University in Singapore, I'm situated and I work closely with industries right there in the region. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much, Andrea. Thanks very much.